Hey, this is episode something on my podcast. And I want to first thank Elijah Lamb for for doing this, guys. It's just been such a journey. Um, it's been such a stretch for me personally in my growth. The patience I've had to have uh, doing these podcasts. Elijah, I just want to thank you for really growing my character. Um, because, boy, this has been hard. Like Jesus says, my burden is light. I question that sometimes after oh these episodes. Gosh. But... But I'm glad, you know, like if this is the process, you know, Paul had prisons, Peter had stones thrown. Him. I have this podcast with you and um, it's like, <laughs> that's crazy. I know. I know it's crazy, but yeah. I'm doing it. Glad I could do that for you, man. Yeah. You're just really, you know, I feel like I'm on speed track with my sanctification. Sometimes I have visions and dreams of me carrying the cross next to Jesus. And he's saying, keep doing the podcast. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but keep pressing in. This is your cross. That's crazy. Oh my God, my God. Where would you be without me? Probably Dallas, Texas. Probably. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> they convinced you to move here. So should um should we get into this? If you wanna. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus, I need your help. <laughs> That's crazy, bro. You are the most. Look, look, look. Let's be honest. Let's let's have an open an open moment here. God, you are the no, 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 no. Jesus, stop, stop, please, stop, stop. Jesus, you are the most difficult part of this podcast. You know, you know how much. God, like, can I tell? Can I tell you guys something? David will say though, something. Even he'll pause. Stop. Stop. Mm-mm, no more. Or I'll mute you. I can mute you. I can click on the computer and mute you right here. Okay. No, you can't do it. You can't mute me. Uh- Dude, you, you can't, oh, it didn't work. You, you can't it mute didn't me. Work. It didn't work. This is what I'm talking we about. We tried to do that bit and it didn't work. You you are the most difficult part of this podcast. Besides all the deep, dark, horrible spiritual warfare we face by you know walking in such a massive Oh, we calling. face. Let me tell you about You guys my, have no idea what kind of persecution we're in facing. Spiritual warfare. In the, in the spiritual realm, in the in the second heaven from this from the war that we're waging against the dominion of darkness. I mean no, but I had to buy more like toilet paper because of Elijah. No, that was really bad. What is it? I don't know. What does that mean? I don't dude? know. I this is that's well, embarrassing. That's worst of my TikToks of 2019. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, I've had to edit David's farts out of this podcast. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about. Can we edit that out. No, please? no, bro. I don't even know what I was doing with the toilet paper joke. That's it's, bad. Yeah. So th- this is what I'm saying. Everything I say in this podcast lands perfectly. I gotta edit. Your, I, I gotta edit your failed That's jokes. No, I have to. Edit, I have to. I have to edit your heresy out of this podcast. Stop, dude. Stop. <laughs> Why do I even do this with you? Why? Why do I even do? I'm done. I'm done with this podcast. Slime it louder. That's good. Hey guys, welcome to episode number four um, of Unto Death. Episode number five. <laughs> Sorry about that. Episode number five of Unto Death with 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 Elijah Lamb. Today we're going to be talking about how to trust God, how we can seek the face of God. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to episode number five. Let's do it. Hey guys, welcome to episode number five of Unto Death. I'm not ready. I'm still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to episode number five. I'm sorry. Welcome I'm so to sorry. episode number five. I'm so sorry. Of the Unto Death, Death podcast. podcast.
Wow. Featuring my guest star, David Ladding. It's my podcast now. I've been wanting this to happen for four months. Yeah, you're welcome. Progress finally going to be made. Um, today we're talking about but trust. But not episodes. Oh. Yeah, I'm a lazy. I'm, I was Don't say that by yourself. No, Don't I, say yeah, that. you know what? You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm perfect. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about? I have no... I haven't... <sighs> Today we're hey guys, welcome to episode number five of Unto Death. Today we're gonna be talking about how to trust God. <laughs> Just do it again. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if someone listens to this and they don't find this funny at all. I would feel bad. I know, with ten minutes of just silly goofy jokes. Yeah, why would why do they do that? Crap, we have to be stoic. Don't they love God? Welcome to episode number five of unto death today we're going to be talking about the deep revelations of god and how god purifies us through his whole okay five minute mark you have to stop now let's do it let's do it for real okay so i want to talk about how believers do not trust jesus in the process of their salvation i want to talk about how believers people who are following jesus have this idea that yes we're saved by jesus but then he steps away and God's not involved. God's not in control. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, I was not in control. I was getting revelations of my sin and of the resurrection like I never had before my entire 18 years of Christianity. It wasn't me. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, for the next year and a half, I would stress and freak myself out because I believed I had to earn revelation. I had to earn wisdom. I had to earn the healing of this past world. I had to earn my sanctification. And Jesus was no longer involved or no longer even wanted to be involved. It was kind of like a, you know, a shepherd or someone saying, or I'll just do it this way. I don't have to use an analogy. It's like Jesus saying, hey, I love you. You're saved. Good luck. Yeah. And then just watching me. And I, I treated Jesus as a peer and I didn't trust verses like he's a good shepherd. I thought he was a shepherd who just watched from a distance, who actually didn't care about me. And it's damaging. And I see it happen to so many believers. And nobody's talking about it. But we're going to be the first ones to talk about it. Nobody has ever broken this down and discussed it like we're going to do. Dude, the Western church. I can't stand the American the, the, church. The American dude. church has massive problems, but we're going to fix it yeah gen z is gonna save the church until four years and it's gonna be gen alpha crap Crap. and we're out of the picture and then we're irrelevant dang it anyway yeah that's great um i think the best starting place is the thought it really is just like how did your christianity start right so for every single one of us unless you are literally a heretic uh, whether on purpose or in an accident, and you believe that you initiated your life with God. What we believe as Christians is that God begins life with humanity. That any relationship between God and man is always started by God, always initiated by Him. Um, now that's a longer conversation about that and the whole like Calvinism, Arminianism thing and all that. But the, both Calvinists and Arminians are in agreement that God starts life with us, that we are incapable of initiating life with God by ourselves. He steps in. What does that stepping in look like? Does, does God not immediately come to us offering adoption as sons and as daughters? Immediately he comes as a father, as a shepherd, as one who, like when we just look at the life of Jesus to come and to rescue us and to save us and to offer the salvation that we want to receive, he gets down in the dirt and experiences human life. He goes to a 
like what, what's great was what Jesus says to the disciples right before he goes, he goes, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. I am in the father and the father is in me. So when the disciples are like, God, Jesus, would you just show us the father? That's one last thing. And he goes, how can you say that? You've seen me. You've seen the father, right? So I know what God's heart looks like, what he's about, his character, all that by looking at the life of Jesus. And Jesus thought it was important not to just come and die, but to come and live a full human life. A full human life of interacting with other humans and being in, involved with them and discipling and shepherd, shepherding a group of a key 12 boys. And then before Jesus leaves and ascends into heaven, he says, I'm giving you a Holy Spirit and it would be better if he is with you yes. than I. So if yes. Jesus being God, what you just said, and you know the Father and all this stuff, and um, if he walked with us and did life with us, but then he offers something even better into the Holy Spirit. So we know for a fact that God, his intention is not just to leave us dry. Yeah. He tends to his people. I mean, that's just like you have to think of the things he chooses to describe himself as. It doesn't make any sense if God's, if we take on this sort of like Christianized deism, which deism is the idea that there is a supernatural being who created the world and then stopped being involved. Like a, it's it's what a lot of Christians believed, in, or not Christians, but Americans believed few hundred years ago people always say it's like what the founding fathers all believe is deism um and if you you try and you make a deistic version of the christian god it doesn't make any sense just based on the things that he's revealed in scripture the the person he has showed himself to be what what kind of god who who creates and then abandons and leaves the people as orphans describes himself as father as abba what kind of god describes himself if, if, if he wants to be known as someone who takes a step back and leaves you to figure it out by yourself, why does he call himself teacher and counselor and shepherd and, and things along those lines? Why would he do that as friend? Why? As I mean, a friend. Why? And it, that's a good question. That's a good question we have to oppose. And I don't think people listening to this podcast are probably deist, but I think there is there is a act of adopting that sort of theology unconsciously. Yeah, it, well, it just kind of slips in because in, I think we've talked about this before, but Satan's whole thing is he doesn't want humanity to believe that God is as good as he, as he says he is. Right. He wants us to have a low view of God. He doesn't want us to believe the gospel is beautiful. He doesn't want us to believe that God intimately cares for us because like that. Okay, just so for example, like Matthew chapter six, if I believe God is in, deeply involved in my life, like Jesus says he is, then I don't have to worry. But Satan loves when I worry. Satan loves when we're full of anxiety because it paralyzes us. It stops us from seeking seeking first the kingdom and his and its righteousness and expecting that God will fulfill our every need. That people who have that kind of mindset get things done with the Lord. People with that kind of mindset change the world. They're effective in the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? I do. But Satan loves to keep me worried because I don't if I and I, he's able to do that by convincing me that God's not intimately involved in my life. So this is what he wants to do over and over and over again is create a version of God who is so far removed from his people that we feel the need to do it on our own. I think that's the first lie. And the second lie, and it comes from the, the grounds of like, I think when you grow up in not necessarily legalistic, but very teaching a church that is very strong in its teaching on like, we are sinners. We are depraved. We are Romans 320, like Romans 323, you know, which is valid. That's not, I'm not saying that's wrong. Right. But when that's the only side of the picture you get, you grow up and you, you, as a kid, when you can't rationalize a lot of that, what happens is you just begin to think like, oh, I have to earn it. I have to work for it. Cause how could God ever love me? Cause I'm so horrible. Cause I'm so disgusting. Cause I'm so unlovable. I'm so terrible. So I have to earn it. I have to earn it. I have to earn it. And if I make any failures in this journey of becoming like Jesus, God's going to be disappointed with me. He's going to take steps away from me. He's not going to bless me anymore. He's not going to love me anymore. And so we get into this workspace mentality. And so we have 
the one belief from Satan is that God's not intimately involved. And the second belief is that if he is intimately involved, we have to work for it and we have to earn it. That's perfect. I love the fact that you brought up the what highlight, was highlighted to me was the step away part. Because in human relationships, naturally, if we start messing up, your friends won't automatically leave you, but there's a stepping away. Yeah, distancing it's, yourself. Distance. Yeah, it's because like, it's healthy. And I've, you know, I, I can fall into that temptation of believing, okay, I mess up. God's going to distance himself from me. And it's terrifying, but it's a lie. It's stupid. Um, and we know this is Satan's strategy, one. Now, I heard this from um, a book, uh, Living Like Monks, living, Praying Like Monks, Living, living Like Fools. Yeah. And Did you read that book? Uh, audio version. Oh. Cheat hack version. You okay. cheated. When, but, did you, when did you listen to that? Like five months ago. Cool. I'm just and, curious. Is it good? Yeah. I oh. like it. Oh, cool. Um, and <laughs> mid-convo me podcast. So Let's go. Let's go. He says that in the ancient Hebrew, I need to look into this, but I'm going to trust his word for it right now. He says the ancient Hebrew says, Shema Israel. Inside joke that four hundred people say. We're just singing the Shema though. Like I was just saying, I was going to try and imitate like fake Hebrew, but I was like, I could just say some like Shema Israel. That's good. Okay, so <laughs> oh man, okay. In his book, he says that Satan, when he came to Adam and Eve in the ancient Hebrew, used Elohim when referencing God. But in Genesis 1 and 2, God's name was Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh means Lord. It's an intimate kind of add-on to Elohim. Um, it's an intimate add-on to Elohim. But when the devil tempted Adam and Eve, he removed it. He removed the lordship, the knowing part of God, the intimate part with God, because Yahweh, there's a lot of meanings for it. And Hebrew is interesting when you, when you add a word, it's not just a word like English, you know, um, Satan removed the intimate part of God's name when tempting Adam and Eve in Islam, one of the fastest growing religion in the world. I believe it's the, it's, you know, I always say this, you say Thomas Edison, you think of the light bulb. I, you say Satan, I think of Islam in Islam, God is not intimate. Right. Like that's Satan's biggest goal to remove totally. the intimacy of God. There is no intimate God in, in Islam. He's this omnipresent, all-knowing master and you're his slave. It's like this weird relationship. And then in every other religion, there's no way you can be intimate with any of these gods. No. Nothing. Right. Like these demon religions, everything but Christianity. Uh-oh, that's going to get on Amazon Prime. Maybe. Um. <laughs> David was just recently there. What was it called? The Duggar family? Yeah, some cult. Yeah, it's some podcast about a cult. His like, face flashed at the very end of the fourth episode. I think it's at like the 16-minute mark. So go check it out, guys. Yeah. Uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like these demonic religions, there is no intimacy. Right. None. Because that's the devil's goal is to remove what was lost in the garden. I'm rocking back and forth right now. You're so holy. Holy, holy. The revelation you're receiving. Are you having an open vision right now? It looks like it. Yes, it's, why do I have to do this podcast? Jesus is saying, keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so, so okay. The intimacy thing. Yes, of course. Like, we have to be 100% sure when we're talking about being sanctified is a big word just being made holy Romans 8 describes it as as being conformed to the image of Christ which even that feels technical it just means us becoming like Jesus and living life with God 
Okay, us walking alongside Jesus in the journey, him growing us and changing us, becoming spiritually mature. Paul describes moving from milk to solid food, right? Advancing, running the race. Like there's so many different ways to describe it. And it again, it has to be built upon. First of all, it's impossible to do any of that growing unless you have deep intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. That that is where you do your growing. You you will not do any growing as a Christian until you're intimate with God. That's it. That's it. My my first four years of Christianity, when I was walking with Jesus, when I wasn't, I was very inconsistently spending time with God, when my time with the Lord was very weak, was dry by my own volition um, and by my own ignorance, not knowing really what I could find in nearness to Jesus. Anyway, it was weak and I didn't, I, I grew very slowly. But my last year of Christianity, as I began to learn more and more and more and more about how intimate Jesus can be and how to walk in friendship with him and how to be his son, my faith has exploded, right? It like went from this very steady line upward to like this giant exponential growth, like out of nowhere just explodes. And um, it's, it's, it's crazy how much it advances. And it was because I began to realize how intimate I could be with Jesus, how to do it, um, which we've talked about how to have quiet time, how to hear the Lord's voice. Right. Um, we've, we've kind of done that already. So I would recommend listening to those um, if you have questions there. But, but anyway, so first of all, that's the first step. You would agree with that, right? Yes, 100%. There's, there's, have, yeah. there's no becoming like Jesus unless you're spending time with Jesus and letting him you know, melt your face off, right? Yeah. Like it just... And if you want a deeper unpack of that, we do have episodes... Yeah. Talking about what that looks like. Just listen, it's fine. So why, why, why did Elijah bring that up? Remember, we're talking about how the sanctification process, us growing more and more like Jesus, how Jesus is involved in our process of salvation still, just as much as he was when we first came to him. Yeah. And that Elijah brought that up because the only way that happens, it's vital, you have to understand, it's through intimate, intimate time with Jesus yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't conjure up and force the growth. Is is really the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. You you can look at an area that you are struggling and apart from intimacy with Jesus, any growth you have in that area is technically carnal. So unless it's letting Ugh. the Lord do it. <laughs> That's so good. You're 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 doing a Christianized form of self-help to get better and that that can work in in the long run, but it won't be as fulfilling, as fresh, and it won't work as well as letting Jesus do a work on you. Now, of course, it requires our compliance and our working with him. But I think, and this is what really what David and I want to emphasize, and I think we're actually going to talk about the romance and the, the balance of these two things and the way these two things work together. But I think people today overemphasize our role in our own sanctification. Boom. And so we want to talk about Jesus's role in your being sanctified, the role that he has to play um, because we downplay that and we make it all about us. Boom. Um, and so let's do that. I know you have some scripture. Goodness, bro. Yo, you blow my mind. Uh, <laughs> it's so good, dude. Um, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Mm. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ until the return until we see him face to face. Another scripture, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author, ready for this? This is what the scriptures say. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set 
before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to read that one more time. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah, I, I like even... So this is where you introduce the balance, is verse 1. What it says there is that we lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely by doing what? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the God who began and who works it out and finishes and completes it. So this is where you're going to find in all these scriptures is there is a working together of me and God, but I don't sanctify me. God sanctifies me. He is the author and perfecter. He is the one who sees my faith to completion. He's the one. If you read in first Thessalonians 5 23, um, Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So, we got it wrong when we think that we achieve sanctification. We are sanctified. God sanctifies us. It's by his power yeah. and his holiness. He does that work to us in, to the same extent that he justifies us and he will one day glorify us. Yeah. That we are being saved, not by ourselves, not by our own works. We Jesus sanctifies us and we cooperate. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And I, I love what you said, the first, the Hebrews 12, 1 we have to lay down the sins that so easily ensnare us. Yeah. But then it's him. And all we have to do is look to behold him. Right. And then he sanctifies us. It's crazy. All right. In first Corinthians one verse eight, it says this, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is read out of the NLT version. And I love this because it says, Jesus will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when, uh, when Jesus Christ returns. It's like a mirror of Philippians 1, 6 again. Right. And this is the entire, I mean, in every epistle, I feel like there's something like this that Paul or even Peter says, or James, um, the epistles. <laughs> Right. There's always a confirmation. Those are the guys who the, wrote them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> guys, we're safe. We're so safe because it's it's Jesus doing the work. And I didn't get this for so long because I thought I had to make myself right. I thought I had to, to, had to grit my teeth and white knuckle this, this Christianity thing so that I could be sanctified. Does this make sense? Right. In, in, in Hebrews 12, 1. I eagerly laid down what's, what's so eagerly ensnared me. Now, there were some things that were hard at first, but then I eagerly laid them down. I threw them off. But then I still tried to make myself righteous by being righteous. Yeah. And it condemned me. And it brought me so much torment because I wasn't reading these verses yeah. or I wasn't believing them. I don't know what was happening, but I was skipping over them because I was so convinced that I had to prove to God that I was righteous, that I... That I was worthy of his love. Yeah. I think, um, I honestly, I just love in the scripture that there's a, there's a balance. That we have to take responsibility over our own lives. I don't get to be passive. I don't get to make excuses. You know what I'm saying? I do. You know, I don't get to run to Romans 7 and go, yeah, but it's not me. I mean, it's tr what's, what Paul says. It's true. It's but then he actually says, he, doesn't, he actually, I was reading Romans 7 today. He, he says, well, now you don't have an excuse because you've been born in Jesus yeah, Christ. We are without excuse. excuse. Totally. <laughs> but he says, it's a sin that lives in me. So right. there, there's the conflict that's going on. Um, two of my favorite scriptures, 
on this that, that emphasize that. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, what? So first of all, what does that mean? Episode four, <laughs> the fear of God. But work out your own salvation. This process of being saved and sanctified, work it out on your own. Work, But verse 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God is working in you so that you, you will, you want to do the good and you are able to do the good according to his purpose. So, so there is a marriage of the two things. I have to take responsibility over my own life. I am the steward of every moment, every breath, every, every opportunity that the Lord Jesus has given me. I am the steward of my mind, of my body, of my spirit, and so on and so forth. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Jesus is the master who's entrusted me with things. So I steward it well. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the point. I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. It's kind of like when Jesus talks about the servants, right. Who've been given like the, you know what I'm talking yep. about? The five, the, the three. The, the yeah. One. yeah. And you know, I don't want to be the dude who goes and buries it. Right. I want to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling that it's because of the fear of God. It is important to me that I am growing, that I am progressing, that I am moving forward. That is an important part. But verse 13, for it is God who is working in me. To make it so that I can desire and so that I can do the good that he wants. So you can try and work out your salvation, fear, and trembling all you want. But unless the fear and trembling means compliance to the hand, will, and power of God so that he can work through you. Not so that you can run the show and be in charge. So that you can steward and be in submission to him of you are listening to him, you're working with him, and you're allowing his supernatural power to sanctify you. Sanctification is a supernatural act. It is a deeply spiritual, supernatural act that you do not have the capacity for. You cannot do it, even if you want to do it. Carnal people cannot sanctify themselves. They can't because they're being. it's about being made into the likeness of the divine. Okay, It's a deeply spiritual act. We can't do it by ourselves. It is only when God is working through us and we comply. Another scripture that goes along these lines. The end of the book of Jude. Jude is just a... It, it's. It's one chapter. It's 25 verses long. Everyone needs to read this book repeatedly because it's a well. But anyway, he says in verse 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Keep yourself in God's love. Every day, keep yourself in the love of God. That's your responsibility. But then he says, in verse 24, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. So what does that look like? How do we do this? I believe it's in Hebrews 12 too, by looking unto Jesus. Right. Because it's not all these great works. Now there's a fear and trembling involved. But when I look at Jesus every day, I'm motivated and inspired supernaturally to work out my, my salvation with fear and trembling to, to do these things, but it's only by looking at Jesus. And that's why yeah. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because I'm with you. All you have to do is look at me. Yeah. It's easy. It's actually easy. And this is the balance that we have to get into because we can read these verses and condemn ourselves and we're like, oh crap, I have to do, 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 do. Yes, but look at him and it becomes easy. It's yeah. all about looking at Jesus. Well, I mean, yeah, Jude, what he says, what does he say? He doesn't say, try, 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 try. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Like, what is that? What, is that hard? What Paul describes in Romans 5? Well, it, it's easy and it's hard. Yeah, true, true, true. Because, like, everything in the world is trying to pull me out of God's love. Everything. Yeah. I, my, my worker bee spirit is resistant to the love of God. This podcast. Satan, oh. <laughs> you're such a trip, bro. 
what he says, he, there's a million things he could have said, but he says, keep yourself in God's love. So what Paul says in Romans 5 is that the Holy Spirit is in us pouring out the love of the Father into our hearts. I have to stay there. That's where I need to stay. Or, or in biblical language, that's where I need to abide. Abide. John 15. You, I'm frightened by you. John 15 says that we must abide in him and he in us, and that's where the fruit comes from. Yeah. So, wow, it's almost like Jesus knew this all along. Yeah, that's kind of the dub passage on this one. Because like, you, you can like read the, you know, you read the scriptures where it's like, um, you can, you know, you know, a good tree by its, you know, a tree by its fruit. Fruits. A, a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't bear bad fruit. And you're like, am I bearing fruit? Oh God. Oh no. And then Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. And you, you, you cannot bear fruit apart from me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says. So it's, we, we get ourselves all confused. We think that God is taking a step back and he's saying, work it out. But actually Jesus is inviting us and saying, no, you can do nothing without me. Come and be with me and I will work it out. Come and abide in me and I I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit unless you're plugged into the into the vine. Unless you as a branch are connected to him. And if you, if you try and pull away, that's where you wither and die and you're burnt. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. It's wonderful. Baller. It's the, that's like the... That's the dub passage. Does this make sense, guys? Are you waiting for a response? Please, please, guys, say if this makes Why is no one saying anything? Wow. <laughs> That's not a good bit. Another good passage, Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who, is, who, has, who has tricked you? Who's cast a spell on you? Are, are you, even though you started by the Spirit, now trying to finish by the flesh? Right? We, we start to him. We start, bro, wow. We start in the spiritual supernatural place. And the, what we try to do is we say, I'm going to finish by the flesh. I'm going to work it out on my own. That's not, that's not how it works. Guys, God in his wonderful, beautiful love for us, his fatherly care for us, he tends to us. He's committed to you to raise you. That is the responsibility of a father. You are his son and daughter, son or daughter. He is going to raise you. That is the commitment that he's made to you. And the only thing he's asking you to do is not to leave his house. That's it. Just, just. Just be raised. Yes. Just be with him. Be always in the presence of God. Just don't be, run away. Be committed to the house of the Lord. We read Psalm 23, right? Psalm 23, David is talking about God is his shepherd, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Like the Lord leads him to green pastures and still waters. What does he end the psalm with? Do you know? Do you know, David? I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Yeah. Only goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Yeah, something yeah. like that. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Yeah. Something like that. Depends on your translation. Yeah. Which, of course, David, when he does read the Bible, which is very rare, he only reads the Passion translation. Yes, the Passion. Abba God has sent down his son to deliver me from sin. It's. Did you, do you think that's what it's like? Have you ever read the Passion translation before? The Passion translation says, John 3.16, John 3, Passion translation version. For God so loved you, you're his little, little, little boy, little girl, that he gave his only only son that he loved so so much that he died for you he went on the cross for you and he loves you abba god sent his son for you and he okay, loves I'm you it. i'm over it so that you could be saved from no. like you know sin is bad but like he loves you that's what the gospel is about not like sin's like 20 percent. john three sixteen probably wow that was awesome that was a great endorsement of the pageant <laughs> translation they're going to use that in their ads for free Okay, I want I want to talk about something that you hinted at before, um, 
and I kind of mentioned it very vaguely, even like when I refer to the Lord as the counselor, that's what Jesus calls uh, the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, 15 and 16. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit is the, the advocate, the counselor, the one that he's going to send to us. Um, and I think when we don't have a robust and a, a, a biblically accurate, a foundational, a strong theology of the Holy Spirit or a pneumatology is what that's, what that's called. Mm. That's the only way we're able to fall into this trap. So like, I think a lot of the struggle that this comes from of, of how involved God is in this process in our lives and growing us and changing us and how much of it is really on us has to do with a, a, a sort of like a removal of the Holy Spirit from our theology. Um, and I don't necessarily mean like you've got to become Pentecostal to have a good, because there are lots of Pentecostals and charismatics with, with works-based mentalities, really hard. Yeah. Lots of them. They're just like, how many healings do I need to get for God to love me? Right. You know, so it's, it's how many prophetic, if I get this actual prophetic word, it means God loves me. Right. So lots of charismatics, they're just as susceptible to fall into the trap. Many of them don't, they may have a robust understanding, sure, of the Holy Spirit as his function in the gifts, but his function as a person, his character, the role that he plays in our life beyond demonstrations of power, you know, when it's just him and I and I'm all alone, what does that look like? Do I have a strong understanding of how that goes? Um, and I think... Um, we're talking about sanctification, the early church, um, they, they used a different word. They described something called theosis. Theosis is the idea that you and I are made like God. What, wow. the, what the early fathers, um, some of the early medieval fathers would say is that, know that. God, God became like man to make man like God. Whoa. Right? That's what Jesus did. It's like a t-shirt, but in chain mail. What? Because like, you know, we have Christian merch. It's like Maranatha is like on every t-shirt right now. So yeah. It's like every tattoo, every Christian has a like the, that's tattoo. like the God's greater one or the fish. All right. That's good. Dave. Theosis. Theosis. Right. Um, and theosis was understood as being an extremely supernatural process. Kind of what I talked about before that whole idea that you and I are made like God. We, what Peter says is we partake in the divine nature. That's what, that's what says the first Peter, bro. Or first or second, I forget which one that's like deeply spiritual. That's, that's next level supernatural. That's wonky. That's swirly. That's weird. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But we've minimized sanctification to just like getting better. You know, mm. we like, and that's, that's the trouble is that we don't separate the ideas of sanctification, like God changing us and us like getting a flip phone to stop watching porn, that, which, which not that, not that that's bad. That if that's, if that's what you need to do, cut off your right hand, bro. Do it. Great. Like, I love the account practical accountability stuff, but that's not necessarily the same as sanctification. I think that's a, I think that's a different thing, and I don't know necessarily that that's what the scripture speaks to. Sanctification, right? Like, yes. Maybe I guess in the process of working out your salvation, like I understand the steps that we take, but sanctification is not something I do. It's it's barely even something I consent to. It's it's literally me complying with God doing something to me, God changing me, God God making me look like Him. God, basically, you and I are like mirrors that have been covered in dust for thousands of years and God is layers of Windex wiping it off wiping it off wiping it off wiping it off so that we see him in the reflection more clearly does that make sense it makes perfect sense our our image bearing is made more obvious over time oh my god that's the point I'm getting at you can't do that on your own you can't do that on your own and here's the whole point sanctification is about us reflecting Jesus Christ and his face if you are not spending time with him and letting him reveal himself to you, that the Holy Spirit's not revealing the Son to you, how can you possibly mirror what he looks like, right? It's all about knowing him. And then Galatians 5, dude, what does Paul say? It's the fruit of the Spirit, not your fruit. It's not your fruit. It's the Spirit. 
It's the Spirit. You stay on the vine as a branch so He can bear His fruit in you, so the Holy Spirit can bear His fruit. All I am is a tree, and I'm letting God grow. You understand what I'm saying? Letting yeah. Him grow His fruit. It's not my fruit. It's not my fruit. I can try as hard as I want to be better at self-control. You understand what I'm saying? Right, you're not going to. But I might come up with a carnal version of what self-control looks like. Dude, That's I've never even thought of the fact that I wonder what carnal things that I've tried to do now God's, you know, sanctified me, so I probably don't have any of those issues. Right, exactly. But, but, goodness, it's like a, it's like an off-brand version of sanctification that won't last. Right. Like when the storm comes, it will break. It gives a false appearance of holiness, but then when tests and trials actually do come, it breaks. Then you wonder why you're not growing because you're, you're, you're making these these false things, and, yeah. and you think it's sanctification. And then when he's talked about the process of be, like seeing who we really are through the dirty mirror, that was incredible. I was like taken back by that. And then I've also heard it in the sense of like, it's the process of being healed. Yes. Of, that's, that's yeah. how you're, that's how the Eastern church would describe it. Right. So the Western church in history is, is your legal terms. Right. Right. So their, their courtroom, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, it, that, that's where that idea comes from. That, that, that sin is paid for, which is true. Again, that's a, that's a really great view. The Eastern church is going to talk more about sin as a sickness that we are healed from. That Jesus is the great physician who is healing us of this disease. That sanctification is we're coming to the hospital. And, it's and, the process of healing. It's yes. like I, I watched uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. or No, it was Empire Strikes Back. And Yoda says, you must unlearn what you've learned. Yeah. Sorry. Sanctification is just so incredible. It's great. It's great. Wow. It's awesome. And it's not up to us. Right. Sanctification, we have two options. We can comply or we can resist. Nothing else. There's nothing else. The actual act of being made holy, of being healed, of, of dead things being taken out and good things being put in place, I, I have no control over Okay, okay, okay. How easy is it for us to resist sanctification? It's, it's pretty easy. It's very easy. Like that's what the whole idea of quenching the Holy Spirit. Here's a great one. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. And this is Paul coming back to that idea, that idea that you were sealed until the day of redemption. There's a finality in your stance with the Lord, but do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that is why we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because right. of, of that. I have a tendency to grieve him, to quench him, to lie to him, right? I, I have a tendency to do it my own way. That is the nature of sin. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what it is. It's God's role. It, whether or not I'm sanctified is the only choice I get to make in the matter is whether or not I'm going to say yes to Jesus and what's he want, what he wants to do in me. But the whole being made holy process, I have no control over it. Hmm. Does that make sense? And that's why we have to look to him. Yeah. And when, so look, the, and this is where like, now, it's important that we like, I want to come back to this. I have to take responsibility over my life. Right? You do. I, first, first Corinthians chapter nine, Paul talks about running the race. He says, run the race. You, don't you know only one person wins the race? Run says, so run, you may win. Run, yeah. run, 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 right? That's right. what he says at the end of Philippians when he's like about to die. He's like, I have run the race. Baller. I have run the race. Like I've, yeah, He's all about that. He, it, James, right? James and Ephesians, these two books that we put side by side so we can get a more complete understanding of what's actually happening. Where James says, hey, don't you know faith without works is dead? Right? Yeah. I, have to, I have to take responsibility. Yeah. To, I, I want to be a servant of the Lord. I want, I want to live every single moment of my life to the honor and praise of Jesus, to glorify him with everything everything, so that the lamb will receive the reward of his suffering in me. That's the goal. That's the intention. But here's the thing. I, I, I want you to read Isaiah chapter 1, 
where God says, I believe it's Isaiah chapter one. I may be confusing with Malachi one. They're, they're pretty similar, but I think it's Isaiah one where he says, oh, I wish you would stop bringing your sacrifices into my house. He says that the Lord says, I, I wish you would stop bringing me these sacrifices. And I wish you would stop singing because they were, they were false in motive, right? They were false in motive. God has no interest in my dirty works. When I, when I am coming to work with a false motive, God has, and, and here's what happens. Here's what happens when you work for the Lord as an employee with a false motive. You burn out quick. You burn out quick. Why? And, and what you're doing becomes your God. It becomes the thing that you're really obsessed with. It's not about honoring Jesus anymore. It's not about his kingdom. It's not about worship anymore. Right? So we burn out because you need to be fueled by what Jude says, the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. So when we talk about taking responsibility over your life, you know what? I see a pride issue in my life. I'm going to wage war with that like crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm going to actively make decisions to be more humble. But here, here's the thing. Even when I look at that, I'm grounded in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I'm the righteousness of God. In Hebrews 10, 14, I've been made perfect. Romans 8. Which one are you thinking of? There's no condemnation. No condemnation. In Christ. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Right? And what he says, I have no obligation to the flesh. Right. Th- those are the verses that I'm like, oh, this, this is what keeps me going because I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to resist sanctification. I'm going to. The only way to stay out of the shame, worker mentality, all that crap is to rest on these verses. What has the gospel done? 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are God's very own righteousness. And Hebrews 10.14, you are God's very own perfection. That is what I stay grounded and anchored to. Now I have a place where I can come from where I know, oh, I know I'm a work in progress and I know God refuses to change his mind about me. And that's why I really wanted to land it on the second point is how does God view failure and how should we view failure? Because we're going to mess up. And for so long... When I failed, I viewed it as the end of the world. Right. And I viewed it as that's when right at the beginning of this podcast, we're talking about kind of this in a sense of, oh, if we mess up, God's going to take a couple steps back. But that's such a lie. And that's why I feel like I'm in a pinball machine with the Bible right now because all of these verses, it's like a table. I have to have all four legs. Yeah. I have to no condemnation, work out my fear with trembling and, and, and fear and so there's this balance and faith without works is dead, but it's he who completes his work in me. And it's yeah. this it's this beautiful dance between all of the of the verses. Um but yeah, I, I want to hit the failure part. I really want to hit the failure part. Does God intend you, you know all about? I do. I fail every four months. You are a failure. <laughs> Kidding? I will not speak that over you. Thank you are you. God's success story. Yes. It's all about love. Um, yeah, you have a verse? <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Um, and so the way we need to view failures is it, 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 it's we have to rip away that Western perspective of when you get an F in, in class, when you don't make the team on the sports, when you... You can never come back from it. You can, ne- yeah. When you, you know, the breakup. It's like we, we, we have this society norm of failure is bad. Failure is wrong. If you fail, you cannot come back. If you fail, people are going to step away. If you fail, authority is going to look at you different. I know on the soccer field, when I failed, when I messed up, my coach viewed me different. And there was a tick every single time. I literally dropped the ball. And it was this constant competition. But that's not how God sees us. That's not what this process of sanctification is. God's my dad. He's not my coach. God's my dad. He's going to 
encouraged me to get back up. What does the Bible say? When a righteous man falls down, he gets up seven more. When a righteous man fails, when he falls down seven times, he gets up seven times. Yeah. Like he, you get up, get up. God wants to teach you when you fail, not if you fail, when you fail, you need to get back up. And yeah. that's why the verse is on the no condemnation on we're, we're the righteousness of God. That's where this becomes vital. And we cannot condemn ourselves and we cannot cast ourselves in the dirt when we mess up. We have to get up because that is when the most learning is done. When I remember when I was a child, my father said, don't put your hand on the grill, on, on the grill. And I remember putting my hand on the grill and I got blisters and I, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I failed, but then I never put my hand on the grill again because I learned. So we have to, I think we need to change our perspective on failure because yeah. we can fail safely. Isn't that like a Kung Fu Panda quote? Doesn't Uguay talk about that? I think it's just like an old like Buddhist uh, proverb. Oh, really? Uguay but, says something about failing, I think. Somebody somebody, let me know about that one. Um, Uguay. But I was going to say, we have to like, I think it's important to to frame, again, the tone that the Lord has with us the role that he has promised to play in our lives. He's promised to be a father. So what do dads do when their kids fail? When, when, and here's the thing, a lot of, a lot of dads, like they live, try and live vicariously through their kids. And so their kid's failure is their failure. I saw the video on the internet. It made me cry of a kid and a dad playing baseball and the kid hit the dad with the bat playing around and the dad grabbed the bat, threw it. And go, what are you doing? The kid was like four. It was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go, what are you doing? And it had millions of views and like 1.4 million likes and all the, all, all the, all the comments were like, oh, you know, tough love. This is so good. And, you know, da, 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 da. like commenting of like, I was like, and I was like, dude, but that's. That's not God. That's not how God does it. So I, I think even when you bring up that, that verse of when a righteous man falls, we're saying, get up. You get back up. It's not like, you know, like David Goggins style, yeah. right? It's not Stay like, over. Who's going to carry the boat? Who's going to burn the boat? Get up. Get up. Get back up. Get on your feet, soldier. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not this like, tough it out. Get back up. Keep moving. It's no. It's, and this is so wonderful. My, my tender, my father has promised to be gentle and low. Just what Jesus says. He's gentle and lowly. My father, Hebrews 5, like he knows how to how to handle me, right? So, He's ancient. He knows how to handle us. We're right. not a new case to him. So when I fall, what is he? He he helps me back up. He dusts me off and says, "Son, let's keep going." You know, and it's those are the beautiful moments. I even see like a smile in Jesus's face, like, like come on, like come on, let's get up, come on, let's keep going. Right. It's. I think that's one of those things. Like even when we think of the narrative of like Peter walking on water, right? Peter goes out there and then he falls, and Jesus says, "Oh, you have little faith." We think God's like, Jesus is like, oh, Peter, gosh darn it. What's wrong with you? No. What is it? He reaches. He says, Lord, help me. And Jesus reaches down and picks him back up, puts him on the boat and says, oh, you have, Dude, why, I have, oh, you have little faith. I, why I why have, did you doubt? I have right? to say this. I have but, to say this. Look, but, that, but, that's, but that's the lesson where Peter was doing something good and then he got distracted and failed. And the, what does the Lord do? It's a gentle rebuke. Of, Dude, please, You can trust me. Please. Go ahead. Okay, go, okay. Ahead, go ahead. This is the craziest story ever. I, I haven't like thought about this in a long time. Maybe I, maybe I said, I don't know. Okay. I was in my room and, you know, it was real to me at the time, but okay. it was, I was going through a high school breakup and I was oh. distraught. Oh, no. Okay. I was um, 17, weeping on my on my floor. I was like, God, because I was I didn't know if I should break up with this girl. I didn't know what's going on. I was so confused and I thought I'd made the biggest mistake ever and I thought I was the most horrible person ever. All these things. I'm crying. I'm on my floor. I'm like, Jesus. And then COVID happened and then. I felt like a failure and all these things. It's just really intense, really intense. I was so, so exhausted, so tired. It was like the, the biggest thing for me in the time. You get the point. I'm on my ground and I'm reading this verse about how Jesus and Peter, Peter's in the water, he's sinking. And Peter cries out to God 
says, Lord, Lord, like, help me, help me. I heard the audible voice. This is the first time I ever, well, really, like, ever really heard the voice of the Lord. Now, there's some other visions and stuff that happened when I was like young. I think I talked about it before. But this is, like, the first time I ever heard, like, literally feel like Jesus was whispering in my ear. Yeah. And I read the verse, oh, Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt? This was the tone that was spoken in my ear. I remember like flinching, like someone whispered in my ear, like, you know, when, when someone breathes on your ear, mm-hmm. like, what the heck? It was literally like that, and I began weeping because it was so audible, bro. It was so audible. And it said, it wasn't Peter. It just switched to my name. I can't explain it. It goes, he goes like this. Oh, David, why do you doubt? Like, you have a little bit. Why do you doubt? And I wept. And this is the tone of God. I, 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 oh, like, oh, you of little faith, why are you doubting? Not, why are you doubting? How it dare was, you doubt? It was like, yes, it yes. was literally, but this was a real encounter I had. So I know the tone of God and either I'm a heretic or I heard the voice so of God. God. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is real. This actually happened to me and I wasn't in the charismatic. I, I, was, I was going to a Baptist church. I never knew about the voice of God and I love my church. It was incredible, but it, it just, I didn't know this. And I literally heard, oh, David, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You sound like the Joker. You sound like a Joker when you do it a little bit. Oh, David. I want to know how I got these scars. Why do you doubt? <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think that's the the tone we take. Uh, but that's I just I get that picture all the time. Whenever, whenever I, I frame my failure, because I mess up all the time. Just all the time. I screw up. I go back in my words. Some, you know, sometimes... I don't actually know. Oh, great, dude. That's yeah. awesome. You're so special, dude. And that's Lucky. just amazing. Lucky. Anyway, when I fail, I always have to frame it and come back to this because the way that I naturally think of failure is I'm such a screw-up that God's mad at me now. He's disappointed. Even I wouldn't explain it that way. I, I think I have to earn my way back to the Lord. Right, and it's like, not, yeah. Th- that's, it's crazy that I'm... We just feel that way naturally. Yeah, it's, 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 you mess up and you feel a little like the Holy Spirit <sighs> is, is trying to gently and lovingly convict you and we go, oh no. And in my heart, I feel like it's not going to be another week before I'm able to feel the Lord's love and right. able to know his presence and see his, like it's, yeah, I'm gonna have to earn my way back to the secret place. And it's just like, whoa, dude, I think the life of David, and I think we can kind of wrap it up here. I think the life of David is probably the best place to look. David messed up bad. David messed up bad, dude. But quick repentance. Quick repentance. Fast. But, but, but yeah, he messed up really bad. He, he killed a man. He had a man killed. He impregnated Raped. his wife, yeah. you know, it's dark. That's really dark stuff. And there was a consequence. The baby did die. Okay. But David goes right back to worshiping the Lord and to being the man after God's own heart and to being the chosen one to sit on the fast. Yeah. Right. Just, he goes back because he goes, you know what? I I know who God says I am. I know I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm, I just goes back to it. And so for me, every failure guys for when I, when I really began to feel this way, I started to psych myself out and say, Oh, this is cheap repentance. You know, to agree with God about what he says about me, right? No, it's not cheap repentance to go, okay, Jesus, I repent. I'm so sorry. I recognize why that was wrong. I, I know these areas need to have an honest, open conversation with the Lord, not just filling in blanks, really talking to him about the things that you're going through, the areas that you're falling short, all of it. But then to frame it with, but Lord, I believe, and end it with, Lord, I believe I am your righteousness, that I have been made perfect forever. It's basically like every psalm. Yeah, like, you have you have yeah. forgiven me. I am. I, 
you are sanctifying me. Right. You are working. You will bring me to completion. Like coming back to those truths and, and clinging to them and being anchored by them. That, that's what we have to do. Crucify your flesh, your feelings, your your because your emotions are going to be raging after you fall. Or, or mess up or or do something. And that's where you have to kill that. And that's where you have to use these verses. You have to trust the word of God. Because I know cats and, and, and dons who, like, they don't believe the Bible in it. And it just screws their faith. Yeah. These, so, these yeah. little scriptures just, like, slip slip under their radar. Yeah. These things that, that prove what Jesus says. That, like you said, the burden is light and the yoke is easy. Like, they take all the weight and all the, all the pressure that's the good word to use. They take all the pressure off of me to be something I'm not able to be. You know, David and I were talking about this yesterday, recognizing that we both, we both have youthful immaturities. We're both 20-year-old boys. We, we're men at moments, but we're boys. You know what I'm saying? Brief moments. I'm saying nobody is expecting me to be 30 tomorrow because I'll still be 20. So, well, yeah, some people, some people, but nobody really right. with, with wisdom and who knows the Lord. Nobody is expecting me to wake up and be 30 tomorrow. I'm just, it, just, it just won't happen. My brain, I got five more years of brain development, right? Yeah. Like, and that's why I love when I look at the Lord, what he says in Psalm 103. He says, I know your frame. I remember your dust. The Lord Jesus knows. knows he, he knows. knows. He, hey, look, he knows I'm going to do dumb 20-year-old things. That's been accounted for, right? You're right. And it's, it's not an excuse. But I can always go back to the Lord. He knows me. He understands me. His eyes are still on me. He still loves me. So it's it's always when I, when I fail, when I mess up, I'm not gonna buy into this gross satanic lie that I am a failure, that I am defined by my mess ups and by my no, that's not true. I'm defined by the blood of Jesus and His victory. His victory is mine. His victory is my victory. So at the end, of the day, I'm a victor forever. I'm not a failure. I am His success story. He is still working on me. He will not give up on me. And I'm not gonna buy into shame garbage. Shame will never lead you to the place that you want to go, ever. Ever. It will never lead you to the place you want to go. So let's cap it off with this very clear cut. Sanctification, Elijah. Who is it up to? The Lord. There's a reason God lives inside of you. There's a reason he's there. Oh, there's a what? Re- that's so good. Right. There's there's a reason he's there. Let, let's. I'm. I. This is what I'm saying. This removal of the Holy Spirit, where he just plays background character. No, he's more involved in you than you are. Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's more involved in making you holy than you will ever be able to be. It's next level. He cares about it more than you do. So how do we keep in that place? We have to look to Jesus. We have to steward our salvation with fear and trembling. But how does that happen? How do we? How do we practically do that? Delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And look unto him. Delight and look look at Jesus. Let the Lord do it. Let him speak to you, bro. It's it's so much more effective when I am able when I ask the Lord, God, where again, if you listen to our How to Hear God episode, when I ask come to the Lord and I say, Okay, Lord, what's an area I'm crushing it in and what's an area I could grow? And let him point things out because his ideas are better than mine, his rebukes are gentle. And then I can ask him, Okay, Lord, what what should I change? What should I do to grow? What you don't understand what I'm saying? Right. So God's our Father, and all we really have to do is stay in the house. He's He's so wise. He's so. It's a conversation with Dad. Right. Right. When When I When I messed up and screwed up in high school and made mistakes. Hey, guess what? This is a little bit different because I'm human. But my some of my most important moments with my dad growing up were when he saw me in the middle of a failure, amid, in the midst of a failure that he had made himself, and was able to go, Hey, look out! I've done that before. Here's what you should do instead, and is able to give me the wisdom that he gained from that and encourage me and help me. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a conversation with dad where he can just give you wisdom to go, yeah, here, let me lead you. Let me lead you. That's what it comes down to. Let me lead you. I want to I end with this. It's a little bit 
off the path of what we're talking about now. I think the immediate response when we're talking about sanctification is we, we can believe in our minds, and this is a, this is crazy garbage from Satan. We can believe in our minds that sanctification is a burden, that it's tiresome, that we can kind of think of it like, ugh, I hate that I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. David, or excuse me, the psalmist says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy, the word is happy, are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. When I'm obeying Jesus, when I'm letting him do his thing and working it out, it always leads to my, to my betterment. It always leads to greater good. It always leads to greater joy, deeper peace. It's always going to be for me. It always, 100% of the time, I'm always going to be more fulfilled and more satisfied, happier on the other side of it. One million percent of the time because God's way is better than my way. It, it just is. And part of that sanctification deal is he's, he's getting out all that gross stuff that's eating us alive. He gets out the demonic lies, the satanic attacks, he, the Satan's influence on you. He destroys and demolishes it because Satan is the, the stealer, the killer, the destroyer, the father of lies. He kills those things. That's what sanctification is for. And this goes back to what we discussed earlier, that sin is a disease, that, that flesh, it's deadly. In sanctification, he's the, the great physician who comes in and he heals us. Nobody wants to, to stay disease-ridden. Nobody wants to stay sick. So when you obey Jesus and you let him make you holy, you say yes to him. That's what's up to you. Meet with Jesus and say yes to him, to everything he asks. Say yes. You'll find on the other side of that is healing and redemption and wholeness that you are looking for that you can't find anywhere else. Happy. Happy are those who obey the Lord. Yeah, and he wants the best for us and we have to trust that. I have heard the voice of the Lord tell me to do something. I don't do it, and it always screws me. Always. And now I've learned, even in the midst when it doesn't make any sort of sense, no, God, I actually trust that you want the best for me. And it goes all the way back to the garden, the ancient question that is being asked, is God good? And if we say yes, oh, dub. We'll, we'll avoid eternal Eternal kingdom dub. Yes, eternal kingdom dub. So... Tonight was fun. I saw a guy with a messy jersey today. I was like, messy, messy. He was like, yes, vamos. I've done that, actually. I yelled at a dude wearing a messy jersey once. That's so amazing. I yelled at him going, got a messy, got a messy, 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 messy. Hey, guys, just a quick reminder. Messi won the World Cup. Yep. So and that's called sanctification. And that's called the holy process of God. Messi didn't win it in 2018. In 2014. And then he committed himself to the Lord's presence. And that's why he won in 2022. And that is the process. I mean, look how sweet it was. 3-3, one in penalties. That was crazy. Yeah. And that couldn't have happened if he didn't lose to Germany in the 112th minute. (laughs) So we have to keep these things in mind. That's perfect. That's biblical. Get a messy. 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 Get a messy.